Welcome. This is Father Larry Richards, and you have at Anchored in Hope. And it's a podcast that I do every week to just try to answer questions that you might have about the faith and about hope, about why Jesus gives us hope and why we need to be people of great hope. And all that begins, of course, in prayer. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Great God of mercy, great God of love, send your Holy Spirit upon us. May your Spirit set us on fire that people would watch us burn. May it help us to love you and to love others. We beg you these things, Holy Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. And their Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Good job. Well, here we are, and I just got off a great uh, uh, priest uh, retreat or a convocation for the Diocese of Erie. We were all together there with our bishop, and we had a great, great speaker, a Dominican from... Um, I'm not exactly sure where he's from. He's from Boston originally, but I think Providence is where he's at now. His name's Father Jim Sullivan or Father James Sullivan, and he was fantastic. And so he talked about preaching, he talked about fraternity, he talked about prayer, and um, it was just so good. Uh, it was so good to be with my brother priests and with our bishop uh, a time to relax, to go out and to listen to these talks, to have fraternity amongst us. It was very uh, refreshing for me. And now I'm home for tonight, and then tomorrow I head off to Columbus, Ohio for a, um, a CMLA, the Catholic Men's Leadership Association. Um, it's just about just 50 of us doing uh, really focusing on how we can continue to empower men's ministry in the church because it's just one of the uh, deepest needs we have for men to rise up and to, to really start pulling their own weight instead of sitting back and watching, to be in leadership, to be in spiritual leadership. Again, I don't, I'm a big one about leadership isn't important. I don't care who you are. If you're not a man of prayer, you shouldn't be in leadership period. So we must be men of prayer, women of prayer, if we're going to be in leadership of anything, because if not, then all the only thing we're doing is pushing our own agenda. And none of us who call ourselves Catholics or Christians should ever push our own agenda. That's not what this is about as a church. It's always about knowing the agenda of God. And to make sure we know that agenda, we got to be praying. And we got to be reading the scripture because, you know, Jesus tells us explicitly what his agenda is in the Holy Word. He does that through the church, of course, too. But he'll make that real in your prayer so that you know that you know that you know. Uh, too many people, I believe, talk in the name of Jesus without knowing Jesus, without listening to Jesus, even in their own prayer life. It's a prayer life that's focused on saying a bunch of words but not a prayer life that is focused on listening to God. It's kind of like Jesus died 2,000 years ago. He didn't rise, and he left us these uh, teachings, and we got to go there, and uh, that's all he does. Uh -uh. Jesus Christ is alive. 
He's the God of the universe. And of course, he speaks to us in prayer. And of course, we're all called to have this relationship with him. I talk about it almost every week. So again, all of us need to be praying and all of us must be listening in our prayer. And again, if you can't hear God for whatever reason right now, that's where you go in and you spend time with the scripture every day. And then you, you know, the Lectio Divina, which we were taught about how you read it and then you meditate on it, you get into it and you let God speak to you. God can speak to you through his holy word. So it's just please important. So if you're one of those watching or listening now and you do not have consistent silence in your prayer where you're listening to the Lord, I just encourage you. It's the most important thing you can do because now you'll get to know Jesus intimately and you'll get to know his will. And that's what's most important. Again, we need to exist to do the will of God in our daily lives, okay? So the way we do this is I have a bunch of... uh, things that uh, you have written me and so they're emails and that so we got a bunch of those and then those of you who are watching live you can go to the side under the comments and type in uh, your question or comment or suggestion and then uh, I get to as many of those as I can and then if it's relevant for everybody then I answer it okay so let's begin here so Gene I'm glad to be here I'm glad you're here though hi Marcy, Chris Walker. Hi, Father Larry. Hi, Chris Walker. Um, how was your retreat? Oh, I'm sorry. I just, just what I explained. It was fantastic. Even though uh, Father Dan Mahoney down there had texted me about getting together and we didn't have a chance and I have to call him now. I feel bad because he's a great guy and I didn't have a chance to spend any time with him from the Diocese of Greensburg. Okay. Jamie asks, we are brainstorming ideas to revitalize our parish. Our parishioners are most older. Our parishioners are most older, and parents with children do not attend mass unless they are in faith formation classes that week. Any suggestions? We just had we talked about this briefly as a diocese with our bishop this morning, and um, again, how to get people back. And I'm a big one. There's some people just aren't going to come back after the thing. And, and I, I, I'm sad about that because they didn't know God at the beginning anyway. You know, a lot of people, again, when I say things like that a lot, I think what I really mean, but there are people who have went to church and go to church because they were told they had to because if not, you go to hell. And so they go out of fear because they don't want to go to hell. But you really... The Mass was made not just for everybody. The Mass was created for disciples. And a disciple is one who has one purpose in life, and that's to do the will of God. And so if we have people that are coming to Mass who really want to do the will of God, now that becomes an altogether different reality. Mass becomes an act of worship, you know. And I'm very big. Like I've been this... uh, Next week starts my uh, 19th year. I thought it was 20th, but it's my 19th year at my parish. And the thing I said the first time I was there was, don't anybody leave unless you have diarrhea running down your leg. Don't you ever walk out that door before the final blessing. And uh, people are like, what do you mean? Because I'm not interested in being a pastor of people who just go through the motions and get their ticket uh, checked. 
I'm interested in people who want to get to know the Lord Jesus better. And if you're walking out of Mass before the final blessing every week, you could care less about God. And don't give me this stuff about, oh, I go there, at least I'm there. Ooh, so, and the devil's there too, so what's that? The devil sits there and contempt you at mass and everything else that he's present there. So just because you show up doesn't mean you're getting anything out of it or and it also doesn't mean that you're in a relationship with the God of the universe. You could be an atheist and go to church every week. And so if again, as I've talked about, if you're in love, you want it to go longer. You want to spend as much time with the God of the universe as you can. You don't want to get out faster than everybody else so you can get out of the parking lot faster you know or so you can go get breakfast more if you're in love with jesus you want to spend time with jesus if you're not in love with jesus you want to get it over as fast as possible and so uh, like my big thing with them and with everybody and like uh, so last week parishioner i don't know if they were parishioners but the mass i didn't have was written uh, was uh, by another priest father Wright, and a bunch of people left mass early and so when I found that out that last week, it was two weeks ago, and so last week I really let him have it. And I just said, listen, if you're into leaving Mass early, don't come back. I'm not the least bit interested in you just showing up and walking out because that's an insult to God. It's called the Judas shuffle, you know. You know, the first one to leave the Last Supper was Judas. Why? Because he didn't love God. He loved himself. And so it's a great insult to God. And if that offends you, good. It's time to stop. It's time to stop following God on your terms and following God on his terms. It's just that simple. You and I are not the God of the universe. You and I don't tell God how we follow him. You and I are humble enough to obey him and listen to him and exist every day to do his holy will. You know, again, today, as you watch this live, we're in the, the, the birth of St. John the Baptist. And his greatest attribute was his humility. And too many people, humility isn't used in our life at all. God is in our mind to do what we want him to do. And I'll follow him, but I don't want it to cost me too much. And again, only disciples go to heaven. So you got to get beyond. Won't it be surprising if you mess mass? I always tell people when I do a mission, I says, what if Jesus treats you like the way you treat him? You know, if every week you leave mass five minutes before it's over, what if Jesus now treats you the same way and five minutes before your life is over, he leaves you? Wouldn't that be horrible? And yet you do it every week. So I'm just a big encourager that if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to want to be there. So the same when it comes to this. My biggest thing is we need to evangelize people so that they know these things, that they know the power of the Eucharist. They know when Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. So I, again, I tell people, what if you stop eating? And um, that people say, well, we'll die. And I go, yeah, what if you stop eating the bread of life? You'll die. Is it God's fault? Nope. It's your fault. He gives you his precious body and blood that you can live, eat it, eat him, and live forever. But if you don't avail yourself to that, you can die forever. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. John 6, he's very clear about this. And so again, we need to teach people truth, but it got to be more than, if you don't come to Mass, you're going to hell. 
So we got to evangelize people. And I think that's why every time I do a wedding, every time I do a funeral, half of my time there is to evangelize people about this is why we do this. Don't you know how much God loves you? Don't you know if you want to be with him, you know that I, like when I do a funeral, I, I had one last week, and I just says, you do realize the moment you drop dead, the God of the universe who is love will look at you and say, I love you very much. And I'll now give you what you love forever the most. That's what I'll give you because I'm a God of love. And like the woman I buried last week was a very faithful woman. I said, you know that she could look at Jesus with a straight face and an honesty in her heart and say, well, that's you, Jesus. I've always loved you more than anything. And God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. And to your master's joy. But if our time at church is just something we got to get in in a week because, you know, it makes us a good person. And if it's just something our prayer life is non-existent except if we need anything, we're not even on the same planet as loving God above all things. And so if he was to give you what you love the most, it would not be him. So very simply, bam, what if right now you drop dead because of what I just did? Bam, you had a heart attack. And the God of the universe comes to you right now and says, I love you very much. I'll now give you what you love the most forever. Would you be able to say, that's him? And so when it comes to bringing people that have been away for a while, I think we have to send them letters, uh, videos, different things, one-on-one uh, -on -one contact from the pastor, uh, pastoral associates and different things, just inviting people back. But I'm not going to beg anyone to come back I'll invite them but I'm not going to beg them and if they don't want to be there I'm not going to make them stay because the God of the universe gives us enough freedom to be damned forever and we have to give people that same freedom I'm not interested in having slaves follow God unless it's a slavery of love I'm interested in getting people to fall in love with a God who loves them more than anything and that takes time. So again, the way we're going to do that to bring people back, to bring that kind of reality is uh, have personal contact, contact. Another great way to do these things is to have a parish mission. You know, I do, I used to do a lot of parish missions. Now I need to do six a year or seven a year. And uh, it's a lot, you know, because I'll go into a parish for four nights and every night I speak for two hours. So that's eight hours. And, uh, the, the reason it takes so long is because it's like a retreat and I want them to truly enter into they can have this conversion to God, you know? And so the first night I talk about prayer and about how to pray, how to listen to God because most people never uh, have heard that in the real way, you know? So I, and now not only do I teach them that, I help them to experience that and I walk them through a prayer experience. The second night we talk about the commandment of God to love others the way he loved. And we talk about loving family because the deepest need in everyone's heart is to be loved, right? And yet so many people have never experienced that love in their own heart from God, have never experienced the love of God. That's why they can't be very loving of others. And so to bring those two things together in our parish is a community of love where we care about each other. Like again, when our parishioner died last week, we all gathered around that family because we love them and they don't have to go through anything alone. And it's so important that when you know that you belong to a parish, 
but it's about being a member of the family. And again, so often people go to church and they don't know anyone and nobody knows them. They're not truly being family. Now, like I talked about last week, if you go back to my homily, like I'm a father of the family. And uh, we don't always get along, do we? You know, so some of the people might have great problems with me. You know, I said something after the one mass that, you know, I've been here 19 years and I'm really tired. And of course, someone uh, had to make a comment. And here I'm doing this for your own good father. And let me tell you what you're doing wrong. Boom, 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 boom. Well, if I did that to them, they'd cry. But again, they can do that to me again and again and again. So we might all never, uh, we might not always get along we still got to care about each other and we still got to love each other and you can never say something to someone i think unless they know that you love them and that you really have their best in mind and that they know that you might have that in your mind but they might the, the person you're speaking that to may not know that at all especially if everything you say to them is negative so that's why on my part, I have to make sure I'm working on that to make sure that I'm not just challenging the people, but I'm talking about the love of God and all those different things. And I hope I do that. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do. But it's a family. So we have to put up with each other sometimes. But that's the second night and what that means. The third night is about repentance and knowing what God did for you and knowing that when you look at the cross, it shouldn't be to feel guilty. It should be great gratitude. And you just look at every time you look at a cross and you just say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Just thank you. And the last night is a time of adoration and healing. So, you know, we bring out the Blessed Sacrament, Jesus, and we teach about the power of him in the Blessed Sacrament. And every time you say amen, you're talking about the, uh, you'd be willing to give up your life for the real presence of Jesus. We talk about how God desires to heal us. And so a lot of people, some of you here, may have went and experienced one of these missions. And you came to, that's where you came to a conversion of heart, that God finally became real for you. So I think one of the best things we can do is to get people back is to have missions for them uh, so they can have an experience or invite them to like uh, uh, chirp or all those other parish uh, uh, retreats that can really help people. I'm just really big on people need retreat experiences because it's there where they stop going through the motions and they stop they start entering into relationship so to an, to start retreats at your parish and invite people to that even the elderly sometimes they're more eager to go and um and they need to know that because a lot of the elderly are preparing to see Jesus and they know they're preparing to see Jesus and so give them ways that are going to help them to do that in a very fruitful level okay so I hope that helps Let's go to some of the emails here. Forgiveness of self after confession. And just question mark, question mark by Brian. Forgiveness of self is something that comes from God, if you will, because you're trusting that, that he paid the penalty. You know, again and again, what I try to tell people is um, we just don't get it. We think that we have to earn salvation. So forgiveness of self is like, I really can't forgive myself because I'm not worthy, and we're not. Again, when I tell you people that I deserve eternal damnation, I deserve eternal damnation. That's not false humility. But I know that I can't forgive myself. I can't do anything myself. But it's all counting on Jesus and what Jesus did for me on the cross when he paid for my sins and he himself took the punishment that I am due and he paid it. He took it all on himself. 
And so when I can be more focused on what Jesus did for me and uh, less focused on what I did wrong, then the forgiveness of Jesus covers me, then I can let it go. Sometimes we don't forgive ourselves because we just don't feel that we're worthy of it. And we're not. But we cling to it to make ourselves always feel bad. And let me tell you something. That the devil is the one who keeps us focused on ourself and on our past. That way we can't look at Jesus and we can't look at the future. That means we don't have hope. And so that's why it's so important here that what we do is whenever we're aware of any sin, first venial sin, immediately repent of it and say, Jesus, this is what I am without you, even mortal sin. Mortal sin, of course, you have to go and confess it to a priest. But then it's the same thing. Once it's confessed and you're sorry and you repent of it, now it's gone forever. So you need to let it go. It can be prideful that we cling to those things. And so you just got to give it to the Lord and trust that the Lord who is good and who paid and died on the cross for that sin. And instead of being focused on yourself and I feel bad and I always feel bad and I deserve my banishment and everything else, you look at Jesus and you say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That you paid the penalty for me. And that'll replace your guilt with gratitude. And that's one of the most important things you can have as you follow Jesus. Okay? So, now let's go back here. Okay. Thank you, Mark and Lisa. Now we're going to go to Sam. What does the Bible say about the sacrament of confirmation, marriage, and communion? Are also different Roman missiles? (laughs) That's a lot to answer at this thing. Everything we believe about the sacraments, you know, like, let's deal with the sacraments first. What is the definition of a sacrament in a traditional theology? A sacrament is, everybody know this, an outward sign instituted by Christ that gives grace. Now, an outward sign means that there's something that you do during it. You know, it comes from John, in his introduction of uh, his first letter, he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have touched, what we have heard. It's an experiential thing. It's something that makes the spiritual reality physically present. So at baptism, it's water. At communion, it's the elements of bread and wine that become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of God. At uh, confirmation, it's the laying on of hands because laying on of hands is one of the biggest things that they would do in the scripture. You look at the Acts of the Apostles again and again, they laid on hands, they laid on hands, they laid on hands, and they got that from the Old Testament when there would be like a, a prophet or a king was anointed, there'd be a laying on of hands and then the anointing with oil, and that's uh, again part of the confirmation thing where there is a laying on of hands and the anointing anointing of oil. And so when it says instituted by Christ, it means it's in the Bible somewhere. And so all sacraments, you can find proof text, if you will, about where it's at in the Bible, or at least spoken uh, at the Bible, where we get it. Like so when it comes to the anointing of the sick, it comes from James. And it says, there any sick among you, let them send for the priests of the church, let the priests lay hands on them, anoint them with oil, and they will be made well. So that's a very explicit one about where this comes from. Again, baptism. Jesus says, go and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So again, it's explicit. Marriage, uh, again, 
we go back to the wedding feast at Cana where Jesus wants to be part of weddings, but it goes all the way back to the Old Testament too. So there's tough, there's stuff in the scripture, both in the Old and New Testament to talk about the sacraments. So the church has taken that from the beginning and they sacrament, they, they said, okay, these are the sacraments. These are the way that God touches us. And each of these ways that God touches us, it gives us a particular grace, if you will. And grace is God's working or sharing himself with us. So when you go to confession, the way that God is present in your life and the grace that's given there is forgiveness. At the, at the, at the mass or the Lord's supper, the, the grace it's given, so you see the outward sign is the bread and the wine instituted by Christ in Luke's gospel, do this in memory of me. The grace is we receive the body and blood of Almighty God. So that's a great thing. So uh, there's a particular grace, so uh, just always go back. An outward sign instituted by Christ that gives grace. Basic definition of a sacrament that we learned at uh, uh, Baltimore Catechism. Again, those of you who are older, uh, it was very explicit. This is what it is, and this is, uh, and to me, that's a very important thing. When we're catechizing people. We tell them uh, very explicit things that they can memorize. Definition of a sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ that gives grace. Who made me? God made me. Why did God make me? He made me to know him, to love him, and serve him in this world so I can be happy with him forever and the next. Those are very concrete things you say. Now, just because you have that memorized doesn't mean that you know what that means or that you can experience that. You can understand that and experience that. That's why it always goes more. But when I taught boys, I would make them memorize those things, and then I would enflesh them, meaning I would show them how this lives out. So what's it mean that someone is be confirmed? What does it mean when you receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? So we got to catechize people, but we just can't let it there. we got to evangelize people as we catechize them. That means we teach them the truth, but we invite them into an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. You need both. It's not either or. It's both and. Some people have an encounter with Christ. You know, again, uh, Paul is, uh, Peter is dealing with this, and he says, uh, how did you get the Holy Spirit? We didn't even know there was a Spirit, but they were already living in the Spirit. Well, the Spirit of God came without them knowing it. So, but when you can have both together, that a person knows the faith, they've been catechized, they can explain it, and they've experienced it. Like, how many people, when they go to communion, whether it's every day or every week, have this true knowledge and encounter that I am right now in communion with Jesus? And they know that. But it isn't just a communion with Jesus. It's never a selfish me and Jesus. It's communion with Jesus, but communion with everyone Jesus is in communion with. So if you have a brother, sister, mother, father, a friend who has died, and they're in heaven, when you receive communion, you are in communion with Jesus, but you're also communion with the people in heaven and in purgatory who are also in communion with Jesus because everybody in purgatory is going to make it to heaven. They're just being purified but you're also in communion with everyone in the church who is alive that receives communion this day. So there's a true union there. Sometimes we just focus on the reality of Jesus' physical body and blood, and it's just me and Jesus. But we're all part of the body. It's never just me and Jesus. I mean, again, think what heaven's going to be. You think it's just going to be you and Jesus looking at each other forever? 
again, heaven's the place where God loves us. We love him and we love each other forever. What a great thing. And so but I don't think most people ever experience that. Once a person has an experience of the power of Jesus in the Eucharist, they would come crawling on their hands and knees just to receive the Eucharist. It's a why. Well, to go back to the original question in the beginning, we're talking about how do we get people back in? They got to have this experience of Christ. Just can't guilt people into this. We got to help them to experience the power of God, especially in the Eucharist, and how that communion isn't just with Jesus, but with everybody else, with your mother who has died. You know, you get to be in true communion, very great intimacy with them. Communion's one of the most powerful, wonderful things we have. And if a person, once they know that here, they'll never miss Mass. Not because they must go to Mass, because they desire to be with Jesus and be with his body. And so we got to constantly be evangelizing while we're catechizing. Okay. What does a church believe happens to a child who died young and was never baptized? Traditionally, there was a theological opinion called they would go to uh, limbo and the reason was because jesus said that uh, no one can enter the kingdom unless they're born of water and the spirit so the early church well not very early but as the church developed they said see you must be baptized to go to heaven so if you're not baptized then you can't go to heaven so a little baby who hasn't done anything wrong they god is a good and just god he couldn't send those people to hell so he would send them the theological opinion was to a place of natural bliss, a place of natural happiness. Now, so again, but John Paul II talks about aborted babies go to heaven. Now, so how do these people, of these children who have never been baptized, get to go to heaven? Well, there's a couple things. One is that there's more than one baptism. There's more of the baptism of water, but there's a baptism of water, traditional, the one we all believe in, most of us have gone through. There's a, water, a baptism of blood, which is martyrdom, and then there's the baptism of desire, three traditional things the church has taught. And so, as the church teaches these things, that so a person who's baptized of water is a regular baptism. Desire is that if you would have had a chance, you would have got baptized, so you desired that. But you, like especially if you're an RCI or something else, you have a baptism already. And blood, of course, through the blood of the martyrs. But we can even go back deeper, because in John's gospel it says that uh, through him, Jesus, in the first chapter of John's gospel, all things were created, and not one thing was created except through him. So that there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. The church has always taught it. But who is in Christ Jesus? That's the question. So some people make it very uh, explicit. Well, you must be baptized Catholic, and you have to go through this, this, and this. It's amazing how I love when people sit there and say this and only this. And God just laughs at us when we think that we know everything because God is always more. But that the Vatican Council teaches us, even an atheist through no fault, of their, no fault of their own, Buddhist, Muslims, can still have hope of heaven. So how do we take the official teaching of the church, Vatican Council II, the scriptures, the old teachings? What, well, how is this? Well, when a person dies, according to Vatican II, they'll be judged by their conscience. So if they don't know any better, then God in his mercy can take what happened. Because remember, none of us uh, were born uh, innocent. We're all born into original sin. 
Why? Because Adam and Eve sinned, and so we all got that sin inside of us. We didn't do anything for it. Adam and Eve did it. We, and, uh, we got it. Now, Paul says, just as in Adam all die, now in Christ, when Christ died, all live. So when Jesus died on the cross, he redeemed everybody. Everybody's been redeemed by Jesus Christ on the cross. But that's redemption. But salvation is when we receive what Jesus did for us. That's through baptism, when you accept your Jesus, your Lord and Savior, whatever it is. But so we can do that through the different, there's many different ways to do that. But the, the, the core of the truth is there's no salvation outside of what Jesus Christ did for us. So if a Buddhist is saved, they'll be saved by what Jesus did for them on the cross. If an atheist gets to go to heaven, they'll be saved by what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. No one can earn salvation. That's Pelagianism. Talk about it again and again. It's all received by what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. So, again, it's a, uh, I'm trying to explain things very briefly there, but yes, they can go to heaven, of course. So, let's go back here. Do, 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 do. Robert asks, Father, do you know why most of our churches are wearing masks? Do you believe we should stop wearing it? Thank you for your service. I believe we should stop wearing it when the CDC says we're allowed or our bishops say, like we're still under mask order here in uh, Pennsylvania. So people, if, they, um, if they've been vaccinated, they don't have to wear masks. And, but it's still core, uh, people are told to still wear a mask if they have not been vaccinated. Now, again, so I put that out in what our bishop said. I put it out to people, and some of my people left, left the, uh, my church over this. And they were looking at me and yelling at me, uh, some explicitly, some implicitly, saying I was a mask shamer. And just as I've said before, as you are a father or a mother, you have to take care of your children, and you do what you think is right. I am the father of my parish, and there's some of my people in there that are very vulnerable. And I can't let a majority or a silent majority or people push their agenda if it might hurt somebody else. Now, the same people, of course, should be have the mind of Christ. It says, and the mind of Christ in Philippians 2 says, you should be more concerned about others than you are about yourself, putting their needs in front of your own. Philippians chapter 2. And Christ never did anything for himself. He always put other people first. So some of my people cannot get the shot. So they're afraid when they go to church if someone else uh, has not been vaccinated and they get it, that my people who are most vulnerable, they're afraid they could get it too and they could die. And so my job is to protect all my people. And so if it's as simple as wearing a mask, if it's going to help somebody else, and I'd say, why wouldn't you do that? Why? If it's going to help someone else. Well, I don't think this is all stupid. Okay, I get, I, I get it. Of course I get it. I'm not stupid. I'm not some nutball. I am one, but I'm saying, though, if someone is vulnerable and I know that they're afraid, I'll do that. You know, Paul says, if, uh, if you eating something is going to hurt other people, don't do it then. You know, that's all. You have a right to do it. And See, some people push their own rights above the rights of other people, and that's not Christian, even if you go to daily Mass. 
It isn't about you. It's about protecting and helping other people. And the closer you are to Jesus, the more you'll know that. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to have to be the God of your own life and protect yourself no matter how it hurts other people. Now, that being said, in a couple weeks, they're supposed to lift this. Next week, uh, they're supposed to lift this mask mandate. So that means everybody uh, don't have to wear masks anymore. But again, even if someone said, I don't have to wear a mask, but I know someone's vulnerable and they're afraid, I'd wear a mask to protect them. Somewhere, I think it's happened in our church and in the world, that my rights become more important than everybody else. And that's just not of God. Look at God. He could have put himself first, but he put you first, he put me first. And if we're not living this way, we're not disciples of Jesus. Might go to daily mass, might do a holy hour, might say rosaries, divine mercy chaplets, but unless that becomes real, that I'm living a life for God and others, then it's not. Prayer in itself does not make reality. You can be an atheist and say prayers. It's only when the prayer is lived. That's why my new book coming out is called just live it. Living the 10 principles of the world's most famous prayer is the Lord's Prayer. And as I've said before, when that book comes out, a lot of people are going to be mad because it's going to be challenging people. Like just the opening thing, our, means I must love all people without condition. Why? Because that's the way God does. So if you're certain people like that don't lo- you don't like and you don't want to love them, and you know, then you're not going to make it to heaven. Uh, I don't agree with you, Father. Well, this is what Jesus says. Because again, after Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel, he explicitly explains and says, if you forgive others, your Father will forgive you. If you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you, which means you'll be damned just because you refuse to forgive one person. So again, people are going to read that that aren't, don't know Jesus. People that know Jesus will say, of course, I know that, Father. But people that don't know Jesus... You're going to say, that's, that's, how dare you even say that? You're being judgmental. I'm not. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. So sometimes we want to follow God as long as it fits into our theology or our uh, sociology or our politics. But God is beyond all those things. When he asks you and I to follow him, it means we're going to do it his way, period. We're going to lay down our life for him and others, period. And that'll bring hope. Part of the division in the church today is none of us have learned humility enough. We're even willing to listen to someone else. We're not even willing to listen. And that's problematic. That's why, again, people say, write me emails and different things, and they start fighting with me, and I just don't even respond. I read it, but I'm not going to respond because you're not the least bit interested in what I have to say. You, the only thing you're interested in doing is proving me wrong. But if you and I can sit there and really be open and listen to each other, then I'll listen, and then you listen, and then we'll do whatever God wants us to do. But dialogue is very important. But we don't even want to do that anymore. So there's problems, too many problems. We don't have the humility enough to do God's will and to put other people in front of us. It's always putting ourselves first, and that's just not of God. Okay? So let's, uh, where am I at here? I'll go back to this. Do you read the book of Revelations as a prophecy or something already occurring as some priests do? It's both. 
you know, almost all scripture have to do with the prophecy of what is to come and the, the, the things that have already happened. The book of Revelation, Dr. Scott Hahn does a great uh, um, study on this when he puts the mass and the, he calls the, the Lamb's Supper, the Lamb's Supper by Dr. Scott Hahn, where he brings the book of Revelation and the mass and he uh, says it's all one reality. To understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand the Mass. To understand the, understand the Mass, you have to understand the book of Revelation. That a lot of, the, again, you got to go back to basic uh, Scripture and theology. When was the Scripture written? The Scripture was written, uh, the first, what uh, uh, wasn't even begin to be written until like 30 A.D., or uh, 60 AD, I'm sorry, that they, the early church thought that Jesus Christ was coming like now, so we don't have to write anything down. Uh, not now, or this week, or next week. That's why you can sell everything you have because Jesus is coming. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't coming, wasn't coming. And that's why Peter has to say a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years to God. But then the early church said, we better start writing this stuff down. So then you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those things are written down. John is the last of the Gospels, about uh, 90 to 110 A.D. And again, it was written to churches that were already churches. So what comes first, the church or the Bible? The church, of course, because the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote the Bible. When Paul was writing the letters, which we're calling part of our script, I mean, part of our scripture now, it was just a letter that he had written to the community of Corinth or Romans and all the Rome. It was all just letters. And then the church said, these are inspired by God. This is our scripture. But not until the year, about a couple of years around, but 390 AD, our canon was cemented. But the book of Revelation was written to a community that was being tortured and was being uh, persecuted. And so there was a lot of this, the reason there's a lot of this language in there was to talk about the emperor and different things and talk about the church without explicitly putting them in danger. It was a story. So a lot of it was happening at that time and a lot of it was already happening. And most of it has already happened except for the last couple chapters of the book of Revelation. That is to come. But Usually, there's a twofold meaning of Scripture. Like when in the Old Testament, when Isaiah says, the virgin shall uh, conceive and bear a son. Well, there was a virgin then, not the same way as a virgin without having sex. A virgin was a young girl. And so a virgin did have a son and happened. It happened then. But there was the secondary prophecy about Jesus through the Blessed Mother which happened a thousand years later. So a lot of prophecy in the Bible is something that happened then for a particular community, but also a prophecy of the future about what will happen. So again, when you go to Mass in the book of Revelation, the whole book when you read it is about one big Mass. And that was giving them great hope during that time when they were being killed off. That God's going to win. We know how all this ends. And that's so like for us now that we can get crazy or we can always be people of great hope that we know how all this stuff ends, that God always wins. And so it's not either or, but it's both and. Okay? I hope that helps you. And again, that's teaching of the church. You can look at it and um, the documents and even uh, the popes that have written about the Bible and that and how to read the Bible, and that can help you. Okay? So let's go back here. Sorry, there's a lot of these things written. I did not get a chance to talk about. So, Father, thank you for being you. <laughs> some people like it, some people don't. Anyway, 
homilies podcast, the Spirit's Way. I pray for all priests. Oh, thank you. Uh, James says, hi, Father Larry. Thank you for your honesty and personality. I appreciate you focusing. Okay. Sorry, now these are questions. I'm just reading as I'm going. I'm picking a parish to join in the state of Arizona. I have three. I cannot pick uh, like them all. Where should our focus be in the matter? It came from the parish where it, it was our family. First of all, the first parish you should always go to would be the one you're in the, uh, that you live in. You know, because there are parish boundaries still. And so we, first of all, go there. If it's a place where it's, um, you know, like in the city of Erie, we have 32 parishes. So people go all over the place, sometimes weekly. Uh, and I'm just like last week, again, I says, you need to be faithful. And I said, I come home to you every Sunday, no matter when I'm on the road. And I just, I'm faithful to you. And I ask you to be faithful to me and to the parish. Instead of being mad one week and quitting, and then I'm going to this one, and I get mad at them, whatever. So, but you first of all should go to the parish you live in. If you can, like in my parish, nobody lives in the parish because we're an inner city parish. They come from all over. But second, if it's not, it's not about you being fed, it's about you being part of the community. At the same time, it should make sure it's a parish where you can worship, where you can serve, and you can also be fed. You're always being fed when it comes to the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. But also, the, like this whole weekend, this whole last couple of days, we priests were focusing on preaching. And Vatican II says the number one job of a priest is to preach the gospel. And so that's supposed to be what we do primarily. You know, and so some people say, no, no, it's offer sacrifice. Well, that's an Old Testament uh, priesthood concept. But Vatican II says the main job of a priest is to preach the gospel. And so if the gospel isn't being preached there in a way that can really challenge you to become a saint, then go to a place that will challenge you to become a saint. Because I think that part of the problem with the church is because of us priests, that we uh, try to either make you feel guilty Instead of, uh, you know, again, Jesus, when he told stories, he was trying to get people to think and to make a decision. He wasn't telling them what to think. He was giving them a story to help them make a decision because the greatest gift after existence is our free will. And we got to remember that. that so, but it's the call to be holy. And again, as, as someone who's been preaching the gospel all these years, sometimes I do it very well. Sometimes I do it very poorly. And sometimes I preach the gospel unbelievably well, but I live the gospel unbelievably badly, right? It's just, uh. and again, the Lord convicts me again and again and again um, how I don't live. You know, when someone says, Father, you're a hypocrite, I go, you're absolutely correct. I don't want to be, but boy, do I find out I'm hypocritical when like someone surprises me and then, you know, I'm... uh, I say something uncharitable or something else. And of course, I make excuses for it. But God doesn't. He says, that ain't the way you're supposed to be. And all I can say is, Lord, you've got to take more control of my heart. You know, the prayer that I pray every single day when I hold up the Blessed Sacrament, as I've told you before, it's been the same prayer for over 30 years now. Lord, increase my love for you and for your people. Increase my love for you and your, and your people. And I said, every time I hold up the precious body of Jesus, I say it again, every time I hold up the precious blood of Jesus, my Lord and my God, increase my love for you and your people. Because again, I can easily, easily love God in my prayer. 
but so often I find it so hard to love God and others, especially if I disagree with them, especially if they're intruding on my time, especially if they're hitting me when I'm in the middle of doing something else, and I become just like the priest in the Good Samaritan uh, parable who just keeps walking by. And the Lord just looks at me and he says, is that what I created you for? Is that why I made you a priest? And it's like, of course not, Lord. You've got to change my heart. got to change my heart. So again, so we're always just trying to do what we can do. And, uh, so, and again, the best way to find out in his will is in his will is our peace. So if you go to all three of those parishes, ask the Lord, I'll go to wherever you want me to do and whatever one gives you peace. Uh, again, that's usually the oldest way the, the how to discern things in his will is our peace okay can i ask is it okay for my child to have confirmation outside the church as my parish is holding it on the football grounds i am not too keen on it again we are the church of god and if, uh, if that's where they're having it it's the same spirit of god what i'd be more concerned about is does your child have faith to open up the sacrament and faith is more than Oh, yeah, I believe the Holy Spirit comes upon me, but they know that God is real. I mean, again, I think most people receive most of the sacraments unfruitfully. Why? Because they don't have the faith that is necessary to unlock the sacrament. Meaning that, like, you can go to communion every week if you don't have faith, it doesn't do much for you. You know, it's not superstition, it's not magic. When the bishop lays hands on people's heads and he anoints them with oil, it's not magic unless they have faith. Faith is necessary to unlock that sacrament. So I'd be more concerned about where your child is. Do they have the faith to receive the sacrament fruitfully? Because the Holy Spirit can come anywhere he wants. And he's proven to me, he's proven that to me again and again. But yes, it's okay if the bishop is given that permission. It's absolutely okay. Uh, but I get exactly what you're saying. But focus on Talk about his faith with him and try to figure out, does he have the faith or is he just going to go through the motions to get the sacrament of confirmation? That, to me, is one of the most important things we can ask our kids when they're reaching every sacrament. Do they have the faith to make that sacrament fruitful? They don't have the fullness of everything. Oh, I believe, da 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 But they got to know what's happening. God himself will now start living inside of him. And not only will God start living inside him in a very powerful way through the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God, the love of God, but then he will give to him the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And to go through those with your kid, do you know what these are? Do you know what God wants to give you? Do you know that God's giving you this? Do you want to use them? Do you want to uh, surrender yourself to them? Because even Paul, I mean, uh, Timothy, who is a priest and a bishop, Paul has to come down on him and says, may I remind you, Timothy, the fan into a flame the gift God gave you when we laid our hands upon you. For the spirit that God gives us is not a cowardly spirit, but one that makes us strong loving and wise so he had to explain to this bishop fan into a flame timothy what god has given you fan into a flame timothy what god has given you you don't have to be a coward but you're strong loving and wise you know so that's what i'd be doing with that uh, hopefully that helps okay okay and nor down Okay, there's a lot there, so let's go here. Hi, Father. 
Did you ever read the book Purgatory Explained by the Lives and Legends of the Saints by F.X. Shoup? If so, what did you think of it? I'm sorry, I don't think I read that uh, book. Uh, but of course, I believe in purgatory, and I, of course, I believe that we need to pray for the saints. And again, uh, one of the greatest things we can do as members is offer it up for the poor souls, that we can take our own sufferings and our crosses and all the stuff we have and offer them up for the poor souls in purgatory. Dorothy Clem asks, why is the amen not said in the Our Father, especially in the rosary? Uh, well, first of all, it's not part of the original prayer to begin with. It's something we added, and the amen is, uh, um, um, it means I, no, much more than I do believe. It just means, of course, I would stake my life on it. You know, it's the, uh, the amen. So that when the rosary is said, it's not, again, as we talked about a little bit last week, we can go back and look at that. The rosary is said as a mantra, if you will. You know, we say at the Lord's Prayer, every time uh, we say the Lord's Prayer at Mass, we don't say Amen either. You know, till the uh, but the first for the first part, and then so and then we say, you know, it's a uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation. And the priest says, Deliver us, Lord. I mean. Uh, Deliver us, Lord, from every evil, grant us peace in our day. And then we say, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. So we add the amen to that part. And so it means that I believe everything I say. But when, So like in my, my, my parish, we say the Lord's Prayer very slowly. But when we say the, Lord, uh, the rosary before Mass, they say it at a regular pace because the, the words of the prayer are uh, created, or we say it to create a sense of, a meditation so we can really meditate on the word the mystery so again this is part of the stuff we're not rattling on like pagans we're saying these prayers have been revealed to us by god because the hail mary the whole part was the first part was by the angel himself you know when he come in and says hail full of grace the lord is with you blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb which came from uh, saint anne and so then we add the second part of it. But so it's all revelation in the scriptures by God. So we say those things. So when we say that, we get to enter into the mystery and meditate on that mystery so we can become like that mystery. We become like Jesus. We become like that. Because again, Jesus lives inside of us. So we are not, he's not like a cheerleader going, come on, guys, you can do this. He's inside of you and me, and he wants us to let him live his life through us. As it says in Galatians 2, uh, 20, I no longer live. Jesus Christ lives inside of me. It's not about saying yes or no to rules. It's about letting Jesus Christ have complete control of your life, that you and I know longer live but jesus christ lives inside of us once we do that we're not only we're not focused on ourselves anymore we're only focused on him and others the way he was we must live the life of christ in the world today because christ lives inside of us and it's only he that can bring salvation to the world. Not me, not you, not rules. Jesus, the living God, 
And we all need to have that encounter with him so that we can be saved and so that we can then get out of the way and let him save others through us. Okay? So that's all I got there. I got a lot more on this, but they don't have a chance to get to it because ah, I got to be somewhere, as we all know. So again, I just want to thank you for coming and being part of us. Uh, again, you can write emails uh, to the foundation that we can uh, answer the question separately. You can come for those who are live. We can do it here. But those of you who aren't live, we still want you to be part of this. So just send an email to um, uh, the Reason for Our Hope Foundation. And it'll get to me. And I just ask you to uh, please pray for me, pray for the men that we will be coming together with this weekend in Columbus, that we can really make sure that we do a lot of listening to God, because men hate to listen, they hate to hand over control, and yet, as I keep saying, unless God's in control of this, nothing matters, and we're not doing his will, we're just pushing our agenda and I don't want to be bothered with that, pushing my own agenda. I only want to be an instrument of what God's will is and help bring that will, his holy will, to the world, especially to the men that we're going to be dealing with. So pray for me. Know that I'm praying for you every day. I just don't say that. I mean that. Um, Sometimes, yeah, I just mean it, and I am praying for you every morning and every night. Please pray for me. Okay? The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you, he who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Here comes the music. <laughs>